both not everybody says what they actually do. Maybe they lie, right? Because maybe, maybe there's a version of you that wants to be like, no, I, I listen to this because I'm aspirational. But there's also the accidental lie of like not really realizing that you listen to a given podcast more than you actually do. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fan. Prepare to turn the f- up. Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials Podcast. My guest today is Amanda Natividad. She is currently the marketing architect at SparkToro. She previously did marketing at Growth Machine, Fitbit, NatureBox, and some more cool companies. She's also a must follow on Twitter. Can't wait for you all to hear the show. Hey, Amanda, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Daniel. I'm super excited. You are one of the most loved people on Twitter, so I'm super excited to chat with you. But I wanted to get started. How did you start your marketing journey? Like, how did you end up in marketing? Yeah, I, you know, I never, I didn't intend to get into marketing. When I finished college, I started out in journalism. And, you know, I went through college thinking that was going to be my career. I was going to work in some kind of print journalism role. And so I started out working at, I I was working at some of the original tech blogs, like paidcontent.org and gigaom.com. I'm in a sort of behind the scenes kind of editorial producer role. I was doing that for a couple of years and discovered a passion for food. Ended up going to Le Cordon Bleu, the culinary school. And I had every intention of becoming a food writer. and. Turns out there are only like eight food writing jobs in the U.S. I, I didn't research this enough, clearly, <laughs> and all these jobs are taken. So I was like, oh, maybe I need a plan B here. And as I was job hunting, I ended up pivoting into content marketing and it ended up being a really good fit because of my prior you know, journalism and writing experience. And so, yeah, I mean, at the time, you know, when I was making that career pivot, content marketing, I think was it was still in its early days but was seeing a sort of resurgence where I think this is timed well with, you know, the, like, I think this dovetails nicely between content marketing and, and how the industry of SEO was evolving, where I think, you know, 20 years ago, SEO had this sort of reputation for being kind of spammy or scammy. And it was all like just having list directories and hoping that you would get a link there but you know, I, as it has evolved, people have started to learn like, oh, you actually do have to do good by users and provide relevant, valuable content. Like, oh, content needs to be better. And so that was the point that I was starting to get into content marketing. And so that was when I was realizing that my prior experience in journalism was actually really helpful in kind of picking up those content marketing chops. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm also a big foodie and it's like that space is also crowded by a bunch of like influencers and stuff like that. So it's definitely like really hard to break into it. I wanted to get into also quickly, like 
you have one of the coolest titles, marketing architect. What does that entail like right now at your current role at SparkDora? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's an entirely made up title, <laughs> but it feels appropriate because at SparkToro, we're a unique kind of company. You know, we didn't raise the traditional VC funding or set up as an LLC. It's just the three of us. So as I was joining the company and we were shaping up my, you know, as Rand Fishkin, Casey Henry, and I were kind of shaping my, shaping my role together, you know, it became pretty clear that the role that I'm in isn't really a traditional kind of marketing role. That's certainly, you know, most of my experience in marketing, but a lot of what I'm doing is creating the foundation for marketing product and customer experience. So marketing architect actually is relevant. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I like titles are very interesting to me because like a manager at one place could totally be different to a manager at another place. So it's like this like facade of like what a title actually is. So it's cool that you just came up with like one that really fit the persona of your role. But I also want to go into like, SparkTor is very great at audience research and stuff like that. But I want to get into like, what are like the foundations of audience research? Like, how do you start it? Like, how do people, because everybody puts on like Twitter and all over, like know your audience, but what does that actually mean? Like, how do I get started? Yeah, I think that's, you know, what's interesting about audience research is there sort of isn't really terminology for it. Even the term audience research, like I don't even think that is something that people are looking for in terms of, you know, typing it out in search, right? Like for a while we had been going back and forth between audience research or do we call it audience intelligence because there isn't really this agreed upon terminology. So audience research is sort of like market research. It's finding sources of influence. It's basically the stuff that good marketers are already doing. There just isn't really a term for it, right? So like, you know, when you are figuring out, let's say you have some budget to sponsor a couple of podcasts, how would you do that, right? You, you would do that because you would know your audience or your industry really, really well. And you would just know like, oh, well, obviously this, obviously marketing millennials, I got them, I had to pay for a sponsorship here. Like everyone listens to this, but you don't really know that intuitively unless you're in that industry. So what we do at SparkToro is we help people uncover these sources of influence. So, you know, if you were, let's say you had a hair care product, right? Like maybe you would think, oh, I should find some of the major media publications and do a bunch of paid ads there. You could, or, you know, you could do a SparkToro search and do a search for like hashtag healthcare or uh, sorry, hashtag hair care, right? And then you would see things like the different kinds of social media accounts that people are following, the different kinds of podcasts they listen to. Uh, and I'm going to do a search right now as we're, as we're talking, I think this will be fun, but it helps you un uncover these sources of influence that you might not know otherwise. So if someone follows looking, doing a search for hashtag healthcare, you know, you would see like, okay, some hidden gems might be publications like the beauty shortlist, salon business, pro hair live. Those are things not everybody would know right away. That's really interesting. Cause it's like, also a lot of marketers aren't really in like a role where like they come from a background that they understand their audience. So like if you're a marketer and you're selling to marketers, it's pretty easy. But like, for example, 
service tight end we sell to contractors and plumbers and stuff like that and like knowing a publication like that you could also see like how what voice they're talking in to the this audience and stuff like that and under start understanding those type of things so i think that's really interesting because like most marketers aren't marketing to like who they really are it takes time to get into this like research phase to deeply understand obviously talking to customers too but this short list like people to start talking to yeah and i think to your point with service titan this is a really good example right where it's not really intuitive who your audience might follow or what they listen to so i just did a search so people who follow the social media account service titan some of the podcasts that they engage with are mega marketer coachcast for contractors HVAC on air podcast series, The Growth Show, Give Me an H, Home Depot's podcast. Like those might be good areas of opportunity for you. Yeah, that's that's awesome too. Cause it's like also what goes into audience research and you could talk to this is like being where your audience is, not like where you assume they are. Like you could just say like go on an ad platform and spit your ad to a bunch of different people. But like, this is an opportunity to say, Hey, let's go to one of these podcasts and do a sponsorship because our audience is listening to this type of thing. And also listen to the podcast to see what nuggets of gold you can get to that. I'm interested in how you would take these insights, like knowing what podcasts, knowing people who follow and make content or marketing decisions from that. Yeah. So, you know, there's the example of doing some sponsorships there, but you also alluded to it earlier when you said that, you know, you could uncover these sources of influence and find some of the shared terminology of your, of your customer base or of your audience. So that's also a great way to use these findings, right. To help it inform your overall content strategy, like the way you speak to your audience, the topics that they care about, they think about, it could help you create that kind of content that sort of goes beyond SEO and doesn't, doesn't have to be, you know, at odds with SEO, right? But it could be a lot about the how you say things and the way you present things, uh, really getting on your audience's level. So that, that's how I would think about that. I think it's also really helpful when you think about this stuff as a way to inform your buyer personas. So to find these sources of influence, you can start building personas about like, Oh, like the, this persona listens to this podcast, probably subscribes to this YouTube channel, follow these other social accounts. And then when you find these other social accounts who are kind of similar to yours or have some, some overlap in audience, but are not competitive, maybe those could be really great co-marketing opportunities or co-branded opportunities. So that, that, that's super inter- interesting. I also wanted to ask you like, so there's two ways of doing audio research is like spark Toro and then talking to customers. How do these go like play hand in hand? And also like for this, I feel like for spark Toro's point of view, like a lot of people are not going to tell you exactly what they do. Like the user behavior is not always what they say their user behavior is. So like, like talking to customers is great, but doesn't mean like, like if you ask me what podcast I'm listening to, I probably would pull up like the first podcast that came in my mind. It might not be like ones I have listened to 20, 30 episodes on. So yeah, um, yeah this is a, this is a, such a good point you're bringing up because it's both 
not everybody says what they actually do. Maybe they lie, right? Because maybe, maybe there's a version of you that wants to be like, no, I, I listen to this because I'm aspirational. But there's also the accidental lie of like not really realizing that you listen to a given podcast more than you actually do, or um, not thinking about the sources of influence in the same way, like, or, or not using it in the context that somebody might be asking. So if somebody were to ask me in the context, if they said, hey, what, what podcasts do you listen to? Two that I would mention would be Conan O'Brien's podcast and Smartless, which is the Jason Bateman's podcast. That, that's true. But in the context of marketing, like if somebody was trying to reach me as a marketer, those would not really be the right answers. And that wouldn't be really helpful to you. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I mean, also like, I think like your mentality going into listening to Conan and Brian is not the same mentality as you going into listening to, let's say like Dave Gearhart's podcast. Like you're going totally. in there to learn about marketing where like Conan and Brian, you're probably just going into relaxing. But that brings up a good point too. Like marketers do this all the time. Like social ads are like that all the time. Like you, like those people aren't coming to social media to like see an ad, but they might see an ad and be aspirational. So you listening to Conan Bryan might, if there's an overlap of more marketers doing that might be a good marketing opportunity. So it's true. Yeah. yeah. It's like, then you'd have to just kind of look into the data and see, yeah. Oh, are there a lot of people who listen to this? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I also want to dive, dive into like when you, you, you get the, there's all this data, you start writing content what about like how do you find like those gems that like are like new content pieces like content pieces that people like don't aren't writing right now um because there's like the the content pieces that everybody wants to see and people are just like five top blogs or blah 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 but what about like taking this audience research and making content that people don't know that they need right now yeah that's a really interesting question so one way I would look at look at that is, let's say you are pitching to a media outlet or even just to another like-minded blog or business where you're pitching them on a story, essentially. One way I would go about this is I would look at who follows that social account. So let's take the example of, let's say you are pitching the New York Times Health on a, on a story, right? I would do a search in, a, in SparkToro for my audience follows a social account, NYT Health. Then I would look at some of the text insights there or some of the insights there, like, let's see. So people who follow the social account, NYT Health, they might be talking publicly online about things like blood pressure, older adults, clinical trials, raise awareness and physical activity. So those are pretty specific phrases. And then from there, you know, I would do a search in, or I would look in text insights in SparkToro and then just start seeing, okay, these are some of the words that people who follow this publication use in their bios. So looking at all this, then I would go to the actual publication. I would go to NYT Health. I would read some of their content. I would say, hey, you know what? Like I've noticed that your audience has been talking about blood pressure, older adults, but you don't have any recent stories on that. There's actually, a, you know, there, there has been some current research or some newer research about, you know, where we're at with blood pressure with older adults. 
and I would love to write a story for you, or I would love for your reporter to cover this piece about our blood pressure technology, stuff like that, that really gets specific about what the publication is missing and why it's in their best interest to write about your piece or for them to cover your, your angle. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I think you made a really good point. Now, I think lately marketing's moving more in the direction of that specific, right? Like, like searching for marketing software now has become like this overpopulated term. And if you're a new intern in the market, you might want to start looking at these more long tail specific terms of content that are like low hanging fruit to start ranking and start creating content that other people aren't creating because like the drifts that have been creating content for like five, 10 years, it's hard to compete or even going better like G2 crowd. Who's been like, who's a tough software competitor and like SEO, like you have create different content for that. So what are like the benefits of like between like writing broad versus like specific type content? Like what do you see like two benefits of those type of things? Hmm. I have to speak to that very broadly because it's always different, right? I mean, mm. I think going very broad with your content, assuming there's still a niche, right, uh, for which you are serving, that can that can make a lot of sense maybe for an SEO and content strategy or an SEO-focused content strategy, that maybe there's a wide swath of topics within a given niche to cover, and that can help you grow the organic traffic of your site, attract readers over time. But I tend to just think that there's a lot to be said for really specific content. And by specific, I mean the things that you or your company, that only you or your company can uniquely say. Like, why is Daniel Murray at Service Titan saying this thing? And why is it not Amanda Natividad from SparkToro saying that thing? You know, the stuff like that, that only you could really speak to because of your qualifications, your expertise, your lived experiences. That is the kind of content that I think is most interesting. Then I think that's the kind of content that will help you build true affinity with your audience over time, where maybe they end up coming to your site because of those broad topics or because, you know, because you have ranked higher on search rank because you've got to cover those broad topics, but you're getting them to stay because of your really specific content that speaks to their true pain points that really reveals your expertise and why they should trust you. That's awesome. So I've been more of the company side, but like how is like from a creator point of view, could I take these insights and like build like a social media following or write content that people will find interesting? I know there's like, there's things that go on Twitter and stuff like that. There's arguments of like what the algorithm actually likes versus what is actually like helpful content. But like, how as a creator, do you take these insights and like write content or give your audience what they're looking for? Yeah. And I wish I had a good case study to cite here, but the way I would think about it is I like to do searches of my audience follows the social account and then a per- an individual um, because then I like to see, like, maybe there are other people who are kind of similar to that person, not similar to that person, but similar, who might cover similar topics to that person, who I would also want to follow. And it helps, it kind of gives you the data behind 
understanding a person's content, right? So, you know, if I do a search for you, for your, for your personal Twitter handle, I'll see that a lot of people who follow you tend to talk about marketing strategy and influencer marketing and sales marketing. That probably is not surprising to you. Maybe it's kind of interesting. Maybe you're like, cool, that's what I was going for, right? But then as you scroll through some of the SparkToro insights, you can see some other um, high engagement hidden gems, like other people to follow, other websites to frequent. So I think in doing this, you're kind of giving yourself more homework, but in a, in, in a way that is helpful to what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and then from there, you know, I think you, you as a creator would be able to see like, oh, okay, here are some of the things people are saying then thinking about like, what can I say that's that adds to this discussion or what can I say differently or that speaks to my expertise? Those are the things that I, you know, would encourage more creators to think about, like truly like what makes you unique. And, you know, I, I think we all are unique and we all have our own experiences. And I think it's about figuring out the way that you can communicate that in a way that's interesting and helpful and, you know, valuable to others. Yeah, I mean, I, but one point I really like that I don't think a lot of people think about is like looking at like, okay, the other counts is one thing, like looking at like what other people are posting, what resonates with your audience, but also like reading the stuff that they're reading and listening to the stuff they're listening to, because you could get so many insights on like, what are they interested in? as well as like, and then tie that to your story and like content for your story. So you are really great at content marketing, for example, but like, how could I tie like content marketing into my story of like how I became a content marketer and how, like what I do for strategy every day and stuff like that. So that's pretty, that's really good insights that you that come from that. What are like some use cases that you see people using like a Spark Tour for or like audience research? Like what are like some marketing, upper marketing like tactics that slash influence and strategy that people use for this audience research? Yeah, I think a lot of it is in the co-marketing opportunities, like finding companies who are similar to your, similar in terms of audience but not actual competitors. So like maybe um, companies who have a similar audience in health and wellness, right? There could be like a CBD company in there. There could be a fitness company in there. There's opportunity for those companies or brands to partner up. That's one area. I would also think about this for PR and uh, digital PR pitching. So finding you know, relevant publications to pitch to, but, and also seeing, you know, maybe what gaps of coverage they might have and how your product or brand can uniquely, you know, serve that purpose. I also think this is a good way to figure out influencer strategy. You know, I think there are a lot of great influencer agencies or influencer marketing agencies, but, you know, if you are maybe an early stage company or your really lean marketing team, you might not have the resources or the budget to hire an agency. So using an audience research tool like SparkToro will help you find some of those influencers to reach out to, right? And it's tough because, you know, if you are doing marketing in a given uh, niche, it's always easy to find the really big influencers who have like 100,000 plus followers, right? But maybe you're looking for somebody who has a smaller follower count who might be more accessible who might even have higher engagement on their social account, 
So this could be micro-influencers, nano-influencers, and using an audience research tool like Spartoro will help you find some of those people. Yeah, I mean, the influencer thing is really interesting because I know some people who work in the influencer space. There's this big like trend going on that influencers are like launching brands and stuff right now. But like the influencers that have like maybe like the 300K to a million followers, for example, are like outperforming like the sales of people with 50 million. And that's because like they built like this niche, well knit community that is raving fans where like that's what people forget i think also it's like followers doesn't mean like community and raving fans and all that stuff like that would like jump if you say how high so that's why like i think like what you're talking about with like the nano influencers and all these people who have a hundred raving fans could beat out someone who has 50 million parts and they don't even know who their raving fans are. So I think that's a great point. And also on that co-marketing point, like I think that's such a low hanging fruit in marketing right now. Like you just gave me an insight, like service tied and home Depot, right? Like that's a partnership. Like you would never think about, but they are serving the both thing, like contractors, builders, like going to Home Depot, like they buy a bunch of equipment there and maybe we should co-market with Home Depot because of that. So like, that's a huge insight you got just from like, you telling me what podcast like people are on. Oh, to- totally. And then on top of that, I mean, and if you are pitching someone on a co-marketing opportunity, you could even show them the data in SparkToro that's like, Hey, look, based on this data, I see that we had, you know, 15% of your audience follows mine. And that's, you know, when we, when we crunch the numbers on that, that's actually like 5,000 people, like we should do something together. And I think those are the kinds of opportunities that, you know, I think smart, savvy marketers are already doing, but it's just hard to do unless you have that institutional knowledge of your niche. Yeah, and and that's I think what the the great point going back to the me not knowing like not being a plumber, I don't have that knowledge of what a plumber is. So like I need something that can give me in-depth audience research to be able to speak their language, to be able to serve them content that they actually want to read and be helpful. Like at me as a marketer, like I don't have to do as much marketing research because I know like my pains. I talk to other marketers all day and I know their pain. So it's easy for me like to talk about it, but like talking about like, that's why I think like journalists are like probably the best content marketers because they know how to do in-depth research. They know how to like understand, they know they like take time and on pieces and, deeply do understand their audience and i think like journalists or institutional people are like becoming like the key content marketers of the future Uh, yeah i think i think you're totally right there and i think you know with the journalism training of you know you have to find unbiased research or at least do your best to you have to talk to people to get original quotes from them you got to interview people those are things that the best content marketers are doing right and i think but those are things that are intuitive to journalists that they just think of it as like, this is my job to do this. And I think if more content marketers think that way, they'll, they'll find more success. Yeah. And I think like people who don't do that, like default to 
what's going on is like this content sameness like out there where like the the best I could do is just copy what other people are doing or like copy and steal and recreate because I I don't really understand the audience that much because I'm it's like assumptions but like the journalistic background is like going one step deeper the institutional knowledge is one step deeper like I read someone tweet one day, like, if you want someone to become, like, if I was selling to plumbers, like, I would want a plumber to write content, maybe not like an exact plumber, but maybe someone who's worked in a plumbing business who was a plumber before and understand or has parents that are plumbers to help them write the content. But I think that is like, I'm seeing a lot more like marketing orgs hiring people like that, like hiring people from like, out of like their customer base. Like some of the, your customers can be like your best marketers on your team, like hired in. So I want to ask you a couple more questions because I know we're wrapping up soon, but I want to ask you like all this like audience research right now, like how do you plan on like, like strategically on like what information you want to like get from it and then use those insights to like feed the marketing team like because i think like there's one part doing the research and there's the other part like getting those like simple insights so like how do you what is your strategy of like looking at research and then taking out like the key insights to feed like the marketing strategy or feed like a marketing tactic or feed like a content strategy or feed that like because i think like for me like we're in this like abundance of data right now. And like, you can get so many different insights right now. And it's hard, it's getting harder than ever because it's like, where do I focus my attention? So like, how do you focus when you like do your audience research? Yeah, and that's tough, right? Also because some because there's so much data here to your point. And partly because I feel like this is still kind of a new, it's the first time we're really putting a name to the type of work we've already been doing. So there's that bit of squishiness there. I think developing buyer personas, that's one way of starting to gather these insights and distill them into, and to distill them into uh, how you inform your marketing strategy. That's one way. Um, another way, you know, we also have lists in SparkToro where you can export data like um, social accounts, contact info, uh, even lists of podcasts into CSV lists, so you can start to organize your outreach. Um, we've been seeing a lot of people, you know, turn this into pivot tables to better visualize the data um, and stuff like that. I think I think there's the, the organizational aspect to this that will help people kind of get started. And I think, you know, even just as you think high level of some of these insights, like having a, a handful of social accounts to, to, to be aware of, websites to be aware of, that can start to help you fill out what that marketing plan for your quarter might look like. Like maybe it'll start to help, it'll help you figure out like, okay, here's, here's our starting point for our influencer marketing strategy, or here's our starting point for getting our earned media. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. Cause I think this is a pretty new area, even though like marketers have been doing it for a while, but what is your thought process on like 
the, this new era of data that like this new ever era of like privacy of data and like going back to like old marketing style like eventually where you have lack of data like i know SparkTora has great insights but like the lack of like i think that you have like the right amount of insights where it's like not creepy and stalkerish but like what is your thoughts on like this new era of like data and usage of data and usage of data to understand your audience where it doesn't get stalkerish if that makes sense yeah this is a really interesting question so for one for the, for the stalkerish stuff we only crawl publicly available websites or data so it's part of why regarding social networks we have the best data for twitter or like that's our strongest source of data and you know and then i think after that it's linkedin facebook instagram for if i were to, if i were to force rank the quality of data that we're able to get because of the publicly availableness of that. That's how I would address that. But, you know, to your point of this new era of data, I think we're at a really interesting point right now in marketing for this. And I think it's because that more people are becoming aware of their privacy and how to take hold of it. More people are becoming wary of the tech giants like Facebook, like more people are getting off. Facebook, right? Like are, are not using it as much, or they're more mindful about what interests or behavior Facebook can see from you. I think, I think generally more people are becoming aware of that, especially marketers. And I mean, this is a complete hunch, but I'll say it anyway, which is I think over this past year, year and a half of being in the pandemic where we're all at home, we're all online all the time, talking to each other all the time. It's kind of forced us into some era of authenticity too. So I think we're at this point where people are becoming more aware of their privacy and their ability to take control over it. People are, I think, wanting more authenticity from the people they engage with online whether or not they are a huge influencer, right? It's just people online. And so I think the exciting opportunity for marketers is the ability to get creative from here, where more and more people are also becoming aware of, hey, I just got a great new round of funding. I don't want to throw it back to Facebook and Instagram and Google, right? Like I want to do something more interesting here. I want to maybe create a better customer experience. I want to have a really great onboarding experience. I want to invest in community. These things that, you know, are that take a longer time to scale, that require a lot more upfront effort. I think more, I'm just cautiously optimistic that more marketers and more people are becoming more excited about that and they're caring more about that stuff. I yeah, don't know if this I, is helpful. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it definitely, it definitely is. And I mean, I'm seeing like the trend, like we just talked about a trend earlier, like how influencers are launching brands because they understand like how important their community is and stuff like that. So I totally feel that way about like the, that community buzzword. And I also think like, and people say it's a buzzword because people should be doing it, but I still think like a lot, a lot of people aren't doing it and doing it right. Like, I think like, even though the, it's a buzzword and the people say you should build community, but like, I don't think a lot of people know what that means or doing it right. Like, I, I don't see a lot of companies doing community very well. Like there are a couple companies, but I don't see a lot of companies that are like, like even in, especially in the B2B space, like 
I don't feel like tribe to a lot of B2B brands, like just because I don't feel like community to them, but there's some com- companies that have built a great community. So, so I totally believe in that. Last question I want to ask you, and I like to ask everybody in the podcast is like, what are like most marketers doing wrong today? It's tough to generalize, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's a joke, but like yeah. you could be specific to like things you've seen. It's not like a jab at marketers. It's more like... Oh, totally. Yeah, it's more, hey, like we should be like th- more thinking about X than Y. Yeah, this will be kind of a rant, I suppose. <laughs> and I don't know if a lot of marketers are doing this, but it's a conversation that I've been seeing more frequently over the past couple of weeks online. So it's top of mind for me, which is... This notion of scaling cold outreach, this bothers me. And it bothers me because I feel like the people who are trying to scale cold outreach are trying to do like a hundred emails a day or a couple hundred emails per day because they want to reach as many people as possible, which zooming out entirely makes sense, right? You want to reach as many people as possible with your message. But when you zoom in, what bothers me here is. When you are doing cold outreach, you are asking a complete stranger of their time and their energy. And that's fine. Maybe you're asking for a favor, whatever. We all do it. But the gripe that I have with that is if you are demanding the time and energy of a complete stranger, the least that you could do is take 15 to 20 minutes to try to learn who they are. Maybe read a couple of their blog posts online if they have a blog. Maybe look at their Twitter feed and see what they've been talking about. Look at their past work. What's their area of expertise? Like just anything, right? That shows that you you have put in some effort. And I think that's the part that a lot of these sort of cold outreach sort of growth hackers are trying to hack. Like the part that is, I don't want to. I don't want to have to get to know this person. I want to just like send them a message. Like, no, no, you don't. Ha- you don't get to do that. Like, if you want someone's time, you should put in the time yourself, and and then from there, you know, create a message that is relevant to why you are reaching out to that person, why it's relevant to them, and why it's relevant to you. And I think taking that time to create a genuine message, a sincere message. It doesn't have to be feigning fandom, right? It's just about being sincere and doing your best. I think you were just more likely to get the response. I think I think if you send out 10 cold emails in a day that you have put thought and effort into, you will get a much, much higher response than if you sprayed and prayed 100 emails that day. I, I mean, I love it. I think like the notion of cold email is you're not against the notion of cold email. You're just not against the notion of like spam. And I, I agree with that. Like I always have this like conversation internal, like internally and with other marketers. It's like the balance between like quality and quantity, like you telling like, let's say a, a mark a SDR, like send out a hundred emails a day, but like, would it be more tactical if you told them to find like 10 people that they probably probably will respond and teach them how to like craft a conversation with that person to respond? Because also on the notion of like, we're getting to a point where we've been sprayed and prayed forever. So like, I don't check like half my emails or like 
my LinkedIn DMs or stuff like that because I know like when when you just start with like a simple line like hey I know you are marketers and other marketers like this I'm like yeah you didn't take one second to to know know me right. so I totally agree with that I want to leave the last like minute to, for you to tell people where they could find you like where they anything you want to tell, like speak to the audience about I want to give you the floor to do that yeah thank you um Yep. You can find me on Twitter at Amanda Nat. And then, you know, all my time goes to SparkToro. So check us out, SparkToro.com. We do have free plans and paid plans. And then we also have office hours every other week or so. So check us out for that. Um, It's basically Rand Fishkin and I giving marketing strategy cheat codes. So it's a lot of fun. We've been getting some great attendees and great engagement there. And I just say it's like, Say, you know what? It's not a party without you. So come on, join us. <laughs> Where could they go find these like marketing hours? Because I'm interested too. So I just want to know where someone could go. And Oh yeah, that's a very good that. question. Very yeah. good question. I We are working on getting up a video landing page. So it'll yeah. be there. But you can also just find us on Crowdcast, crowdcast.io. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, we would, I think the audience would highly benefit because Amanda and Rand are experts in the field so i would definitely go follow them and learn from them and amanda is one of the most like i know she uses it there but she is the most one of the most authentic like marketers out there so i think you guys should all give her a follow thank you so much daniel this was fun thank you for having me yeah thank you so much 